Hi, and welcome to the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ podcast. We've provided a collection of sermons, our midweek lessons, music, and many more tools to help you grow in your walk with God. We are living in an unprecedented and challenging time, but we invite you to listen in and be encouraged as we fight through this together. Be sure to subscribe and feel free to share this podcast with your friends and loved ones. Thanks for listening. Dry in your car there, please. But uh, tonight is the first of our midweek lessons on our new theme for the month, which is renewed love. And uh, Larry Reed kicked us off last Sunday, and uh, he talked about that topic that he spoke about was renewed love. Uh, This coming Sunday, we're going to keep it going with why is love the greatest? And by the way, Sunday is Valentine's Day, so husbands, don't forget that. But that would be, it's a great day to talk about why is love the greatest. So tonight we're somewhere in between what Larry spoke about and what I'm going to speak about on Sunday. And uh, our topic tonight is what is love? If you have your Bibles, go ahead and uh, turn over to 1 John chapter 4. And so, uh, you know, one of the past questions in the game there was, if you had to sum up all things spiritual in a single word, what would it be? And I think there would be a lot of really great words in the running you could say faith, you could say hope, you could say compassion, I mean, a number of things. But to me, I think the winning word would be love. Uh, in Matthew chapter 22, and it's a scripture that I know we're pretty familiar with by now. Um, Jesus talks about the two greatest things. The question is asked, you know, what are the greatest things? And he says, well, the number one greatest thing is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And then he said, the second is just like it to love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus pinned everything. He says, all the law and the prophets hang on those two things. So obviously that was pretty important for Jesus. Uh, There's another scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, verse, uh, I think it's around verse 10 or, I think, yeah, 10 or 13. Uh, But uh, Paul says uh, that there are three things that remain. He says, faith, hope, and love. And as awesome as faith is and as great as hope is, Paul says in that scripture that love is the greatest. And then we know the scripture in John 13, where Jesus says that we will be known by our love, right? So there's a lot of things that we'd like to be known by, you know, as Christians, but it's really our love that's going to be the standout um, part of who we are. And in fact, in that John 13 scripture, we're commanded to love each other. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. <clears throat> and so I would say that love is pretty important. But, but what is it? What exactly is love? We're going to take a look at that tonight. And uh, we're going to be going through 1 John chapter 4 a little bit, maybe a few other scriptures. And then, uh, Lord willing, we'll have time to break up into some groups for a little bit. But if you look at me in 1 John 4, we're going to begin here at verse 7. John says, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
And so in these 15 verses that we're going to look at, because we're going to eventually go all the way down through verse 21, in these 15 verses, John uses the word love 27 times. I mean, that's a lot in such a small bit of text, 27 times. And so what is he saying? And why is he saying so much of it? Well, the word that John uses here for love is agape. Why does he use this word agape? What does that even mean? Why would that be the, the word of choice? Well, if you were to go back into the first century, you would more than likely hear at least three different words for the one word that we have, love. Now, we have other words that are synonymous with love. We would say affection, or maybe we would say passion, but you can be affectionate toward something else, and you can be passionate towards anything. But this word love that we only basically have one word for, they had three, and two of them were common, one was not. So the most common word that a Greek would have used, say, in the first century would be phileo. And phileo was the, the, the intimate love that you have within your family. So that would be toward, you know, your, your kids, say, you know, if you had a son or a daughter, or maybe extended family, maybe towards a mother or a father or a cousin or an uncle or something like that. But it's that family unit. You have that, that phileo love. It's a very intimate. There's a, there's a bond there because you're family. The other word that was commonly used back in uh, the first century Greek was eros. And that's the sexual love between a husband and a wife. We're going to leave that alone right now. But, but that's another form of love that you would have heard back in the first century. But then we find this word agape. And the word agape, it's a very, very interesting word. It's actually a much weaker word than eros or phileo. And by that, I mean it's a bit more ambiguous. And the word agape is actually very fluid in meaning. It's not nearly as sharply defined as we would see in Eros or in Phileo. In fact, prior to its use in the New Testament, this word agape was rarely ever used in Greek society. And I think the reason for that is the idea of loving somebody else besides somebody in your family was pretty unknown. Now, we take it for granted today that People outside of your family are, you know, you can have loving relationships with them, but not so much in the first century. So Jesus is the one that came along and really made that popular. But prior to that, this agape love, this agape word and love was not really known very well. When the Septuagint, and the Septuagint, if you're not familiar with that, is the Greek Old Testament. When that was put together, which is about 2 BC, they borrowed this, this rather ambiguous word agape as the foundational and probably the most widely used word for love. And then that word agape eventually made it into the New Testament. And so now as you go through the New Testament, that is the word that you see translated love way more than any others. Rarely do you see phileo or, or eros, um, but you see this agape all through the New Testament. So why is that? Why did this, this somewhat unknown, unused, and rather unpopular word, agape, becomes so popular in first century Christianity. Well, it's a word that's a little more pliable and a little bit more moldable to describe a love that might be really hard to describe. 
By the way, that's A-G-A-P-E. There you go. Thank you, Pat. You can put a little thing. I'm not sure what that's called. Remember the last E if you want, but that's how the word is spelled. But it's it's a little bit more positive. It's a word that you can describe a love that's really pretty difficult to describe. Now, it's interesting because we see other words like this in society, somewhat, maybe a somewhat colorless word that, um, that might find new life in a new application. And you're very familiar with this concept. So let's just take one example, the word cool. So what does the word cool mean? Well, it means a lot of things, but what did the word cool originally mean? Well, slightly warmer than cold. That's what cool was. But ever since the 50s, the word cool has meant so many things, right? Cool can be, can be hip. Cool can be uh, something that's that's really awesome. Cool, cool jazz, right? Was like a different form of jazz. So you had like modern jazz, bebop, and then you had cool jazz, which is a bit more subdued. Cool even can mean yes. So if you uh, want to meet somebody and they say, okay, we're going to meet at six o'clock, cool, right? So that just means yes. So this this fairly colorless word, cool, which just meant like a little bit warmer than cold, right? Takes on a whole new meaning. So now we get to this word agape love. Why was that used so much in the first century? And why is that important? Well, think about it. We don't usually have trouble with identifying this, this word phileo or eros or even describing it because they're family. We get that. But what about love outside of the family? So I wonder how much different we really are from those first centuries Greeks. Hopefully we are different. But, you know, love can still be a challenge when it's outside of your family, when it's outside of your son, your daughter, your mother, father, or your wife, or maybe a brother or a sister. And so John has a lot to say in this passage about, about love. And it, it's all right here. And he opens this up basically by saying that love isn't static, that love is an event, that, that love breathes and it moves and it has life. And there are two ways that John works with this really interesting agape love. And we're going to get into those right now for a little bit. Number one, agape has its foundation in God. So this agape love can only be something that comes from God. Now, wouldn't you say it about any kind of love, right? We would say, well, all love from is from God and all love has God as, as a component to it. Well, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Because if you were a complete atheist, no faith in God, no belief in God, a complete disdain for God, you could still have love. You could still have a phileo love for your kids. You could still madly be in love with your wife. And with your wife, you would have a phileo and an eros. With your kids, just a, just a phileo or maybe with other family members. And so this, this love that you have with a spouse or a child forms organically. And it forms naturally. And it really can't be commanded 
to be genuine, right? So you can't you can't command somebody, look, you must love your wife. Now we can say that that's what Jesus says for us to do, but you, you can't demand and command that kind of love. It's typically something that just comes naturally. The more time you spend with your wife, the more you're gonna fall in love with her. It's the more time you're with your kids because they're your kids, the, the, the more you're gonna love them. Not that you would love them less any other way, but I think you get the point, right? So it's something that just comes naturally. But the truth is, to some degree, we we define that love within our family, that phileo and that eros love. We make it what it is, but not so with God and with God's love, because God defines it and he makes it what it is. And so when Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another, I don't believe he was intending to say, you know, hey, husbands, a new command I give you, love your wife. I think they already knew that. I don't believe he was saying to a wife, a new command I give you, a new command, right? Love your husband. There was nothing new about that. Or love your children. There was nothing new about that. But what he was saying is, okay, look, this agape is going to be new. Like you got to love people outside of your nuclear family. And that was a game changer. And that's what Christianity ushered in, was this idea of loving people outside of your immediate nuclear family. And so this was agape. And this, for probably a lot of us, is the one that is least natural. And probably the one that we have to work the hardest at. Because maybe we just love our families well, but outside, that's a bit of a challenge. But the good news is this is the love that comes directly from God. And so what you see here in verse 10, John says what? God is love. That's great news because you know what? We don't have to create it. All we have to do is develop it and apply it. God already has it and he's giving it to us. Now let's go on. Look at verse 9. He says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. If you notice, and I, I love when I read the Bible to try to look at every single word that's there. Because in my mind, every word that's there is there for a reason. And sometimes there's a little nuance in just one word. That if you change that, if you were to take that out, it would change the whole meaning. And I love what I see right here. He says, this is how God showed his love among us. If you notice, he says among us and not to us. Because I think that would change the meaning. This is what God is showing to us. And so that would be more of a, of a demonstration for us to watch. But that's not what he says. He says, this is how God showed his love among us, like while he was with us and while we are with each other. It was not just a demonstration to watch, but it was an example to follow and to imitate. And that's not always easy. But then he adds something really important in verse 10. He says, God is love. It's not that, it's not that we love God. Not that that's not important, because I think that is important. But he says the most important part of this, this love you know, thing here is that, is that God loved us. Agape will only develop when we understand that it's not about how much love 
we can, we can manufacture. But it's about how much love we can absorb and share in terms of this love that God has for us. So God is love. So where do we go from there as a brotherhood? Well, let's go on to verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And so again, this, this, this love, this agape, uh, isn't just an event. I'm sorry, it isn't just a thing. It's an event. It's ongoing. He says, so God so loved us. Doesn't mean that because God loved us, like so God loved you. He says, so God loved us. Or he's, uh, he says, uh, literally that means in the way that God loved us. So when he says, so God loved us, he's saying this is the way that we should be loving each other in the way that God loved us, which I think is pretty important for us to, uh, to understand. And uh, understanding that his love comes, this love comes from him first. Now, if you look at verse 12, no one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. When we love each other with that love that God has for us, love is made complete. And nobody wants anything that's incomplete, but the idea of having a love that's complete, that's full, is great. So it's God's love for us, but then it's the way that we demonstrate that love and we uh, we exemplify that love with each other. So why is that important for us as a church? Well, because like a family is united through that phileo love and marriages uh, to some degree united by that eros love, as a church, we will only be united through that agape love and the effort that's needed to develop it. And so that's why Jesus says, you will be known by your love. So what does that look like in a very real and, and practical way? Well, John used this love that God has for us as a model for how we should be with each other. And unlike phileo or eros, which again might come more naturally, we really have to have to lean into this agape by realizing and appreciating how much God loves us. And I believe when we can put our arms around that love, then we're probably going to do a much better job putting our arms around each other. And so that first point, agape, has its foundation in God. But here's the second point. Agape has its practice through us. So the example is from God, but the practice is actually through us. <clears throat> and so what does or what should this love between us really look like? Well, let's keep moving down a little bit further into verse 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He's given us of his spirit. And we see, we have seen and we testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. This is such a great part of the text. And this is where I believe things really come alive for us. After saying that agape love comes from God, he says, for us, it's realized 
or it's made alive through our relationship with Jesus. And we see that really clear. I'm just going to read a text from you in John 15, beginning of verse 12. You can stay where you are. If you want to flip over there, that's fine. But you really see this idea of, of this, this, this love that we get from Jesus so clear and this love that we share with each other from Jesus so clear right here in John 15, verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. And so I'm going to actually go back down to 1 John chapter 4. For me, when I look at the few verses that we just looked at from 1 John in verse 16, it says, and so we know and we rely on the love that God has for us. I think that's a really, really important verse. And I think it makes things very, very clear. There are many, many reasons why we need to rely on God. And we could probably all share the top 10 reasons why we need to rely on God. And we would say some really great things, right? We need to rely on God for our security because we live in a very un, uh, insecure society. There's not a lot of security in this world right now. There's a lot going on in our world. And so we draw strength, we draw secure, security from our relationship with God. We don't put it in anything else because anything else can be fleeting. So security would be one. Confidence, right? We rely on God for our confidence. God, you can get me through this. God, you can work this out. God, you can, you can empower me to do whatever this thing is I need to do or whoever it is I, I need to be, that confidence. Grace, right? We rely on God for grace because we all make a lot of mistakes. Guys, I make tons of mistakes. I save the wrong thing. I react the wrong way. I, I you know, constantly have to go back and, and rethink. And, and you know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm a very imperfect person trying to be a disciple of Jesus, but I appreciate so much God's grace and God's forgiveness for me. And I hope to be able to extend that grace uh, in the same way that God does with me, although I'm probably always gonna fall short. And joy. I know I rely on God for joy because I know that there's a lot of things in this life that can take away our joy. And there's lots of things that just can leave us wanting so much. And, and God is the source of our joy. I'm sure you can think of many, many more. There's dozens of possible words you could come up with. But I think a big one, and what John is saying right here, is, is, is how we love each other. He says, we know and we rely on the love God has for us. Put that in context with everything he's been talking about and everything he's going to continue talking about. And it's like, no, we need to rely on God to be able to have a sincere, genuine, agape love for each other. It's not going to happen organically or naturally the way it might happen in your family. Now, we might have a friendship with each other, and that's fine. There's plenty of people in the world that have friendships with each other. But to be able to have the level of love that Jesus is commanding for us is only be able, going to be able to come because we rely on Jesus for it. So again, and so we rely on the love that God has for us. 
And so all you have to do is look at what God has done for us through Christ. That's why this relationship with Jesus is so pivotal. It's so important. It's so key. In a very practical way, what should that look like? And so I want to look at one of the best examples of practical love. And I might actually blow this out a bit more on Sunday. I'm working on the Sunday message right now. But probably one of the best examples of practical love, and one that we we typically apply to phileo love, but I think was originally intended to actually be an example of agape love. And uh, for that, I want you to flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The reason why I say we typically uh, apply this to phileo love is we use this passage I'm about to look at in weddings. I mean, I have done countless weddings in the 35 years I've been in the ministry and probably the majority of those at some point in the service included this scripture. Florence and I have done marriage retreats for many, many years and we use this scripture. We have an exercise that we do with married couples when they're struggling. It involves the scripture. We use the scripture in pre-marriage counseling. So, I mean, this is just kind of the or one of the go-to scriptures when you're talking about the relationship between a husband and a wife that I lay all up. But I don't think that was the original intent. And if you were to read before and after, which I think I might do on Sunday, you'll, you'll get that idea. But we're just going to cut to the middle section right now. And I want you to think of, think of this in terms of, of not like a husband and a wife, but about brother to brother, like how we should be with each other. So beginning of verse four, I'm just going to read them through straight. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, imagine if we all practiced these things with each other, at least all or most of the time. Now, guys, I'm going to be the first one to tell you that I do not always practice these things with each other. <clears throat> I don't always practice things, these things with you. Uh, I know I fall short in these a lot. Uh, I, I know what my my struggles are. I know I can be impatient. I've had to a number of times apologize for being impatient with people. And uh, it's something I know I, I have to work on. Um, you know, kindness, uh, pride, uh, easily anger, or, you know, I mean, I can go through all these, to be quite honest with you, and say, yeah, I struggle with probably pretty much most things on here. I, I don't know if I always do all these poorly, but I think I do a number of them poorly, at least some of the time anyway. Um, I certainly want to get stronger at these things, but I'm, I'm probably not the only one. But I think if we all just made commitments to ourselves that, okay, I, I need to, with a very sober eye, look at these things and realize where, where I'm falling short and where I'm not hitting the mark because this is impeding my relationships with my brothers and sisters and, and hindering the growth and the wellness of our church. I think, I think we'd be in great shape. Remember that 
agape love, which if we apply this to this to agape, right? So if we say this is this is you know agape for for us with each other. This is going to come from God. So this is something that we probably need to really pray about, and we need to look to Jesus as the example for. And so remember, agape love is from God, but it's practiced through each other. So this is a great way for us to take what we know God has given us, right? God is love and say, let me show that to my brothers. But this list right here would be a really great thing for all of us to either put on an index card or highlight or do something with it so we can all look at this and say, how am I doing with this today? Okay, I'm doing better with this one. Eh, not so good with this one. I blew it on this one. I had a big victory with this one. But I think this is something for us to really keep in mind. Let's go down a little further. We're going we're gonna to close this out here in a second. So uh, we're, we're back to First John. I'm sorry. And uh, we're going to look at verse 17. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love. A perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. So, guys, we can't fear leaning into this because this is where our love is made complete. And I think this is where our fellowship is made complete. You know, I can look at that first Corinthians 13 list and, you know, some of those are, are, are intimidating. And there might be a bit of fear in all of us to want to lean into certain aspects of first Corinthians 13. You might look at the patience or the, you know, not boasting or the, or the kindness and say, man, you know, that's going to be, that's going to be a Mount Everest for me to, to get to a better place with that and shy away from it. But, you know, I love what John says, perfect love drives out fear. Well, I'm never going to be perfect in love and neither are you, but we know God is because God is love. So the more we, we understand that love that God has for us, then we can lean in to some of these attributes of love. And we can, I think, really turn the corner on the things that we feel like we need to work on. Let's close out with this last couple of verses here in verse 19. We love because he first loved us. I mean, John just keeps reiterating this over and over and over again. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. And he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And so John makes this non-optional. And as Jesus said in, in John 13, and also said it in John 15, this is a command. And in John 13, remember, this is a new command. And this might be new for a lot of us, but it's, it's what God expects. And it's what the church needs. We're taking great pains to try to build a strong fellowship here in the Southern Connecticut Church. And it's very challenging with the conditions that we have right now, <clears throat> because I think the lack of physical contact that we are experiencing right now is really taking its toll on us emotionally, spiritually, and relationally. I'll be really honest with you. It's really taking a toll on me emotionally. So I, I have a lot of times when I'm just not doing well 
emotionally and I'm not doing well. And, and people, people know it, they sense it. And, you know, trying to, trying to leave the church under these conditions is, is really wearing me out, to be really honest with you. And probably Pat would say the same thing. Um, but I think you're getting worn out as well, just trying to maintain the fellowship under these conditions. And so I know for me, I really need to lean into the body and the love for the body more than I have been doing. And so this, this is a commitment that I have, because again, for me, I look at this and it's, it's not optional. I don't think I hate a brother or a sister, but you don't have to have a disdain for somebody to hate them, right? You know, this word hate is a difficult word to translate into, uh, into modern English. It's the same word that we see in Luke 14 when Jesus says to follow him, you've got to hate your mother, father, wife, brothers, you know, children, sisters. Of course, he's not saying you need to have disdain for them. But what he's saying is you need to love God so much more. And so I think what he's saying here is, look, if you if you love God as much as you say you do, you've got to make sure that that you also love your brothers and sisters, because if you don't love your brothers and sisters with the love that God has for you, then you're a liar then you're really not walking in the light that you think you are. And so I say this as a lesson for myself and you take for yourself what applies to you. But we have to make sure that we are really loving each other to the best of our ability with the love that God has for us. And so, yes, we are really trying to build a fellowship here in, in Connecticut. And so I wanna encourage you to jump in and be one of the builders, right? So we don't need we don't need bricks lying on the side of the construction site in a pile. <clears throat> that doesn't help anybody. What we all need to do is jump in and say, you know what? I'm going to take myself as a brick and make it part of the of the building, you know, part of the body. I'm going to invest myself in whatever way I possibly can. So invest yourself wherever you can, whatever part of the ministry you're in. As God has loved you, then go and love your brothers. Amen? All right. So here's what we're going to do right now. We've got, I don't know, it looks like about 30 minutes. This has been an episode of the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ podcast. Please subscribe so you can keep up to date with the latest podcast.